Hello and welcome to my second live. This is Power to Speak. And today uh, we're going to be speaking about speaking with my guest, Susan Murphy. And Susan is a, uh, a former TV and radio personality that's been uh, on the air for over 40 years. She is now working with, with other anchors and weather people and broadcasters to help them with their voice and get them started in the business. So I'm going to bring Susan on up and we're going to have the next 30 minutes of just speaking about speaking. So welcome, Susan. I'm going to swap you over so you're over the other side. There we go. Welcome. So nice to be here. Delighted <laughs> to join you live. This is going to be a fun conversation. It certainly will. It certainly will. So tell us um, how you kind of got started in the business and how you've how, how you've now sort of transitioned to a speaking coach rather than than the, the actual speaker well I got into the business when I was very young I did my first radio commercial when I was 14 and that was kind of by accident and then majored in communications in college and did tv as a weather person and as a, a tv reporter loved radio news I did that for many years I got into voice acting. I worked in public television. I always liked cobbling together a career with a couple of different things going on at once. And I recently moved, well, not so recently, six years ago, I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina from New York, where I had lived originally. And coaching young people, which I had done, I was a professor, by the way, too, at Hofstra University and at Stony Brook and taught TV performance classes. And it was something I loved to do very much because I really could make a difference. And speech and talking and voice is no longer really emphasized in journalism schools anymore. So once I got here to North Carolina and I'd be flipping around the channels and occasionally watching a newscast, I would hear not great voices, but these young people could shoot very well. They looked great on camera. Their writing was okay, but some of that needed a little work but their voices were just lacking. So I discussed this with a news director friend of mine and he thought it would be a good idea to become solely a broadcast voice coach. He sent me my first two clients. I did it for free. He wrote me a testimonial, got my first few clients through LinkedIn, developed my own website. And now most people find me through word of mouth or on different Facebook groups that I belong to for young broadcasters. And now news directors send me a lot of their new people to kind of get them up to speed in the voice department because there are not a whole lot of people who do that. No, no, I, I would imagine what you do is quite niche. I mean, certainly from from my point of view. And what we do is, uh, although we're in the same arena, we are talking to very different people. So I think that will be something that we will we'll definitely touch on. But I just wanted to let everybody know that's either watching live or if they're watching on the uh, the replay, that this is interactive. So if anybody out there's got any questions, yes. then, then ask away, ask of Susan, ask of myself, just, you know, put the comments out there and we'll, uh, and we'll endeavor to reply. <laughs> um, so, so tell me, Susan, then, if you're dealing, were there, let's go back to the beginning when you when you first started, did you have any kind of voice coaching yourself before you stepped in front of a camera? No, I was one of the first wave of young women in television. I kind of, the second wave really, I came behind Jane Pauley and Barbara Walters. And in the late 1970s, TV stations were scrambling to add women to their rosters. 
radio was too, to a certain degree. So back then it was pretty easy to find a job in the business, but there wasn't any me to coach. So I would take um, the suggestions that I would get from news directors or fellow anchors or reporters, but I kind of just experimented on my own with a presentation voice that I thought would be pleasing to the ear. You know, back in the late 70s, it was all about how can I join the boys? How can I be in the boys club? Do I need to sound like a boy? Well, no, that would not have been a good idea. But how could I make my voice as rich and as engaging as the male anchors who had come the 50 years before me? So I kind of experimented on my own. And then much, much later, when I took voice acting lessons and when I took singing lessons, because I was cast in a regional production of Footloose and had to do a duet, I sing well enough to be in the chorus. I'm not so sure you want me to do a duet, but I did it. And that voice coach was amazing. And she taught me so much that I could pass along to broadcasters. So it wasn't really until maybe 20, 25 years ago that I took actual classes. And so what I have developed to teach my own clients is a combination of everything I've learned in 40 years. And I can teach it to you, teach it to you. I can't practice it for you, but I can teach it to you in less than two hours. Wow. Wow. That's a, that's a tall order. That's a tall order. (laughs) Two hours. Um, Two hours. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Uh, Well, in that, in that case, let's, let's discuss then what, what is the best advice you were given either by that voice coach that you that you did go to or maybe even before that by the broadcasters that you were listening to Mm -hmm. the one that sticks in my head and when I think about the best advice I ever got and I'll talk a minute about getting no advice because that can be helpful too the best advice I got was as a college kid I was in a an upper level broadcast course and again, back in the day when television studios had to have bright white lights and we were using old black and white cameras. And one of the culminations of the course was we had to do our own commercials. And I was going to do a commercial for a perfume and we're taping it live, so to speak. And I go to spray the perfume and I spray it in my eyes. And I remember kind of half screaming a little or just going and doubling down like that. And from the back of the room, I heard, keep going, Susan. (laughs) So I, I kind of don't, it's fuzzy what happened after that. I guess I did keep going and I finished it somehow. The nice thing was that the professor did not make me watch it back because in a way it was its own lesson and just keep going, Susan. So that's a good thing to tell young performers when they're doing a live broadcast, when things go wrong in the control room and you have to keep going. So you have to use your smarts, you rely on your training, you go back to things that have worked in the past or default to what you do well and just keep going. Now I talked about having no advice Growing up, my parents were very pro-education and they were all about us being who we wanted to be and what we wanted to be. And I actually got no advice from my parents, which I now credit with, 
my being able to figure things out on my own, kind of get where I needed to be on my own. I asked nobody. I just did it myself. So I didn't get anybody's advice. I just kept plowing forward. And I've kind of done that my whole entire career. I just keep plowing forward with an idea, with a question, with a new job. Maybe you don't need to seek advice. Sometimes you do in a couple yeah. of coaches. People come to us to improve their authentic voices. So, okay, I'll do that for you. But then it's up to you to keep going and don't take anybody's advice. You just keep going now with the tools you have. That's what coaching does, I guess, right? We give yeah, people yeah. tools and then they... I say that I preach the gospel according to St. Susan, and there's more than one gospel. So take what you learn and make it work for you. Yeah. Was there anyone back then that you that that you actually modeled yourself on, though? Was there anyone that you sort of emulated or thought, you know, that's that's how I'd like to sound or that's how, you know, I'd like to be? Because I think it's, I think it is. In, I think it's quite important to have role models and, you know, not not people that you want to copy, Right. but people that you want to, you know, that you look up to and you want to model. I very much admired Jane Pauley of the NBC Today Show. Um, she was young at the time. I think she and I aren't 10 years apart in age. There was also a local reporter in Philadelphia, which is where I grew up. Her name was Andrea Mitchell, who's now on NBC. She started in local radio um, in Philadelphia, and I admired her. Tenacious, a bulldog. She is to this day. She's about four foot 11 and maybe weighs 90 pounds, maybe on a good day. And her ability to get a story, her ability to stand in her own confidence and in her own expertise and in her own just ability to get that story out there was something I very much admired. And she was a role model for a lot of young women who grew up in Philadelphia and wanted to be a reporter because she was the best of the best, not because, you know, she worked mostly in radio and eventually went to television. But when you work in radio, nobody cares how your hair looks. Nobody cares what you're wearing or what shoes you've got on. It's getting the story. And that was very important um, for a young journalist to make sure you're not getting into this business because it's glamorous or because you're on TV, um, yeah. which I think a lot of young women still do that. And then they realize how difficult the job is. Yes. Yes. Well, it's, it is exactly that. It's not it's not about the way you look. It's it's about finding those stories. And actually, you know, what I do with people when they're when they're speaking, then they need to share their message or get an idea out to an audience, sell a product, whatever it is that they need to do. I encourage them to find their story because, you know, the advice I give to people is you are your own USP. You are your unique selling point. Nobody has been through the experiences that you have been through. So only you are going to be able to do what you do. But what with what you do, the people that you talk to, it's about finding other people's stories. And actually what what you're coaching and and talking to to people about doing for for their careers is to actually uncover other people's stories and deliver the facts whereas not that not that not that people's stories of their own aren't the facts but actually to engage an audience it's it's all about storytelling yes. so what's how different is that then when you're talking to 
to the the people that you work with about storytelling? It's actually, I don't think, not that different at all. And you, what I teach mostly, what my what my clients need to find is their authentic voices. They're either speaking in a way that oh, this is what I should sound like, or this is in my head what I should sound like, or they just have some preconceived notion of how to simply say a sentence in an odd cadence, sing-songy way. So you can't tell somebody else's story until you stand clearly in your own. And you start that with an authentic voice. And sometimes in my coaching, I have found that women in particular don't use authentic voices because of what goes back to their childhood and using a voice that is girlish or high or squeaky or quiet. And once I can show them their authentic voice that they should could now use as an adult because their circumstances are far from where they were 15 or 20 years ago, when they can do that and, the, and be more true to themselves, they then can go out and ask the right questions of people whose stories they're telling. If you can't relate to that person authentically, and I really do think your authentic self lives in your gut, where your diaphragm is. Yes, your gut is informed by your head and your heart, but where you live is in your gut where your diaphragm is. And when you speak from that authentic place and confidence rises, you can step into asking questions you thought were too hard. You can think about questions that either relate to your own life or at least can, can broaden somebody else's. So much comes from that ability to be authentic. I'm amazed all the time about yeah. how a reporter's life can change and how they can put a story together and in what they choose to tell or leave out. Because, you know, a reporter can work all day on a story and they get less than two minutes to tell it. So you have to be a, become a good editor and, yeah. and tune in onto what the important and emotion grabbing pieces of that story are. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I hadn't really considered that a reporter should find and have the confidence in their own story, own their own story, because that's that's certainly advice that I give to my clients is, is once once you own your own story, then it's it's the bedrock of your confidence in speaking to anybody in any situation. And I, I suppose it hadn't really I hadn't really considered that of of reporters, but you're absolutely right. It, yeah. it is that kind of. That, that bedrock of your confidence once you've sort of taken taken ownership of your story. Ownership. You own what you say. You own what you write. You own how you look. You own how you present. And until you're comfortable in what all that entails, you're not going to be able to do the best job that you probably have inside you. You just don't know it's there yet. So I yeah. help uncover that a little bit. Yeah. And yeah. then it, it grows from there. I only do the, the basics. And then yeah. boom, takes off. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about how you do that. How do you, because uh, authentic voice, authentic, you know, show up as your authentic self and all that, you know, there's, it's a word that's a big part of what I do. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I don't know if people really understand what it means. So how do, how do you uncover 
somebody's authentic voice? It all starts with breathing. Um, and again, something I didn't really know until I took singing lessons, it all starts with the breath. Yogis knew this thousands of years ago. So what I've developed is a combination of yogic breathing, what I've learned uh, from a singing coach, and then what I just have intrinsically learned uh, as being a broadcaster. So the first thing I, um, I concentrate on is getting in touch with the natural pitch of your voice, which rises from your diaphragm. So many of us breathe so shallowly. Yeah, it gets oxygen where it needs to go, but we're not breathing into our bellies. Once you start breathing into your belly regularly and then speaking from that, from that depth, I never, I don't change you. I don't help you make, create something or make something new. It's already there. I don't want to um, force your voice into some level that it shouldn't be. I think a lot of women did that back in the late 70s and early 80s because we wanted to sound deeper or richer and that's all we knew how to do. So we would, you know, there'd be a little of this going on. That's not authentic. It's false and it could probably hurt you after a while. So I, I just find where that authentic pitch is and then I teach you how to work in that range. And in that range is the tone of your voice and how you write and then how you interpret what you wrote colors the tone in the area of pitch that you should be speaking in. I don't come at this from a biology or physiology or ENT or PhD background. I, have, I know the basics I I, because I've lived it is why I can show it to you and help you discover it too. It's all discoverable. It's not, it's not something you can't reach. It's not something you can't attain. You just have to be open to finding it or experimenting with it. Yeah. And a lot of people are afraid of experimenting with anything. Yeah. No, so that's it's exactly a very right. personal thing, working with someone's voice. Yeah. It gets into personal space. Yeah. Yes, I find that I, I do find that that people are are almost reluctant to step into that zone because they know they're going to have to go deep and and it's it feels like you know I say to people I'm not a public speaking trainer I don't train you how to speak it goes deeper than that it's a, it's a coaching it's a supportive it's a, because I know it is vulnerable you know I've been there I've stood on a stage I know how vulnerable it is to speak as yourself and you know have, have been the center of attention and lots of people aren't comfortable with that. But, you know, it's if you want to transform, if you want to get through that and get to the other side, you kind of have to go there, which and is once you know, you're on the other difficult. side. It's a pretty great space. Yes. Yeah, that absolutely is. Mm -hmm. So do you remember the first time you ever had to speak? Publicly? Yes. For, for either a TV or radio? Yes, I do. I certainly. <laughs> Why is it that that sticks with you? I was working for uh, an all news radio station in Philadelphia and my very first live assignment was to go to the Philadelphia flower show and file a live report from the flower show. I, I don't even know whether I heard it back. I know other people heard it, said I did a good job, but of course I remember the first time I went live on the air. First time live on television, 
I, you know, I don't remember that. There's probably a good reason for that. Maybe it didn't go so well. But I do remember the first time I was live on the radio. And what you realize is um, you're going to live. Uh, yeah. Not going to kill you. You're not going to faint. You're not going to throw up. You're hopefully not going to lose track of what your your thoughts or what you were going to say. And that's another thing I do, too, is I, I give strategies to reporters. Some of them like to memorize things. And I highly that's an actor. That's not a reporter. So I highly discourage that. So let me give you some strategies so that you can recall phrases. I did public television for years. I helped with their fundraising drives for years. And that was all ad lib. Well, we would pre-tape and sometimes we would work from a script. Most of the time it was ad lib. And you would just learn phrases so that if you started to run out of things to say, I would have something in my hand and I would look at it and I would see a word that would trigger my next sentence. And that's what I teach um, reporters to do. I don't want you to rely on memory because that takes you out of the story. It takes you out of the moment. You're not present. And to be a good storyteller, you have to be present in the moment. And for an anchor, it's doubly hard because they are reading words on pages that go, keep going like this in front of them. And that's a whole other level of hard. Yeah. But there are some yeah. tricks to that too. Yeah. Are there, I would be, I would be fascinated because I, um, in my I suppose in my own presentations, I've tried everything and uh, so that I can then help other people because obviously lots of lots of what people are doing now on Zoom, they're not in the space. You know, there are these these apps that are available that are that sort of um, what do they call it? A, um, teleprompter, a teleprompter. Yeah. So I, I had a go a couple of times. I, I downloaded an app and I was doing it and I was thinking. No, this isn't, and it didn't feel comfortable because you're you're kind of reading it. How how do you do that naturally? What what advice do you give? Several things. One, you have to be very familiar with that script. In a perfect world, you would have written every word of that script, but that doesn't almost never happens because you have producers to do that, and producers will write differently than you would speak. Producers sometimes make sentences that are too long. I often like to say I wouldn't have to work with anchors if I could just fix all the producers. But so being very familiar with that script is key. And then the other thing is, I just recently learned there's a professional term for this. It's called scooping. Never knew that. I just would describe what it is. In a teleprompter situation, you can usually see three, sometimes four but usually three lines at a time. And as the copy is moving up, you want your eyes to be reading the middle line. This is what, and, and your, your mouth is saying the words on the middle line. But eventually what you need to do is you need to, I say sometimes say that you have to consciously be aware of your peripheral vision because your peripheral vision will allow you to get to that bottom line. You're saying the middle line but your eyes are slightly ahead so that you know the next word or you know the next, whether the sentence is coming to an end so that you can anticipate. So it's a, it's a talent that takes some time. You can't do it in a week or a month. I think most people take months to learn to scoop and really read a prompter well, but it's having your eyes slightly ahead of your mouth. That's yes. 
Yeah, it's it's an art in itself. It really it is, is an art. Yes, but I I have noticed uh, that the certainly presidential prime ministers as well those big kind of uh, events where they're actually you can see that there's a couple of prompters on either side and it's sort of trying to which is obviously better because you're kind of, it looks like you're actually talking to an audience rather than just staring down the camera uh but it's that must be awkward as well i would think for many politicians it is um the president or prime minister of most countries or republics have other things to do besides learning how to read a prompter. So yeah. I would think that, yeah, they get some practice at it, but I don't know how really good they are at it. And of course they have speech writers, they're not writing their own stuff. Yes, that speech writer should write to that politician's cadence, but still uh, that's an art. I don't think many of them master, but I don't think we expect them to either. I am mm -hmm. happy though, if, if they can stay on track, if they don't get lost if they keep their points rolling i'm all for yeah. teleprompters yeah but you know it's, i think it's i think it is quite an important part of any politician's remit i think to be able to be an orator i mean the, the greatest politicians have been great orators i would say yes. Mm -hmm. So whether that's something they learn or whether it's something that's sort of natural to them. And the other thing is, obviously, and I, I say this all the time, is that if somebody else is, is writing your script, then you have to be doubly, uh, it, you have to know what that script is and you have to understand every word. Yes. Otherwise, because if you don't believe what you're saying, then your audience won't believe it either. Absolutely correct. Oh, gosh, I I harp away on that daily. You, If you're not engaged, if you're not excited, just like Tom in, in your first um, live presentation, he said that charisma comes from being engaged and excited and passionate. And if you believe in what you're talking about, it has to come through to your audience. And then they're going to forgive if you stumble over a word or if you lose track of what you're saying because you have shown them how engaged you are, not only in hopefully your subject, but how engaged you are with them. Yes. And I always have to remind reporters and anchors, it isn't about you. It's not even about the story. It's about who's on the other side of that television screen. It's yeah. your viewer. That's who you're working for. That's yeah. who you're teaching or edifying or explaining or whatever, it, entertaining, whatever it is you're doing. You work for them. Yep. Yep. And again, that's something that I, I say all the time. If you're, if you're, no matter what message you're trying to share it's not about you it's about the people that you're sharing that audience with how is it landing with them are they going to understand are they going to believe what you're saying are they going to be interested so all the time you need to be thinking about the audience rather than thinking about yourself i want i recently read a description of the relationship between a speaker and their audience or a reporter and her viewers could be you, the reporter or speaker, are either the expert or the guide, and your audience are the heroes of your story. Think yeah. about all the great stories that have been told in history. Your hero never gets to where he or she is going alone. There's always the guide. There's always Yoda. There's always Gandalf, depending on which trilogy or you know whether it's star wars or lord of the rings 
there's the hero and the guy. So you treat your audience and your viewers as the hero and you're the guide. You Absolutely. are there to help them on their journey. It's not about your journey. It's about their journey. Absolutely. Exactly what I say. Exactly. Uh, my words, exactly. My, my cat has come to join us in the live. So How lovely. I'm, I'm, I think trying I to make all live <laughs> sessions better. Yeah, just trying to push him away, whether he hear him purring down the microphone. Uh, well, this, this has been a fantastic conversation, Susan. Thank you so much for joining me. We are going to sort of start wrapping up. Okay. Um, if there's anybody would like to ask a question, then then go ahead, stick it in the comments now or stick it down below if you're listening to the replay and we'll we'll endeavor to get them answered. Um, is there, uh, just to finish off, Susan, anything that you would like to leave the listeners with? Yes. To help you find your most authentic voice, to help you focus your breath and to help you focus your attention on your audience, there's one tip so simple and it does so much and that is lower and drop your shoulders and then breathe from your belly. You have now taken away a ton of tension and if you remove the tension from your shoulders, where do we carry attention? Our shoulders. You have relaxed all the muscles into your face and when you breathe and when you speak, you are most likely now coming from an authentic place. Absolutely agree. 100%. Yeah. Roll the shoulders, get them nice and relaxed because that's where you hold all of the tension. And I always, 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 and people look at me strangely when I start a session and say, right, we're going to have a warm up. And they sort of look at me as if to say, what? But it's actually just about loosening all this up you know, opening up your 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 voice box and opening up your shoulders and your chest yeah. and just, as you say, practicing that that belly breathing so that you really get used to using your diaphragm, yeah. which is at the core of, of all that that goes on down there. Right. Oh, it's been fantastic talking to you, Susan. Thank you I so much. I can't believe the time, time went so quick. I didn't I know. It's a half an hour already. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you, everybody out there for listening. Yes. And uh, as I say, if you've got any questions or if you'd like to know more, you can contact uh, or get in touch with Susan here, SusanMurphyVossot.com. Yes. Mm -hmm. Very, very quickly, Susan, explain to the audience what Vossot is. Broadcast shorthand for voice over, sound on tape. It's what a reporter would write for an anchor to read about a story. Brilliant, brilliant. And let me just show the viewers, the people that are watching, this is your website. So if they have any questions or would like to come and find you, that's where they can get in contact. Absolutely. So, and I do, you. I can help anybody who speaks. You know, I've worked with ministers, uh, nurse practitioners, financial advisors, happy to work with everybody. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you very much and enjoy the rest yeah, of your day. You do the same.